Good morning. Excuse me. It's unusual to be uh, at this end of the room. I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm also, uh, though, uh, usually when I preach, I, I don't use the screen. Uh, when I teach, I do, but I haven't as a preacher, but all the young guns are doing it nowadays. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try it and uh, see what happens, see if I can work it. Oh, my goodness. I guess I got the wrong slides. I just happened to throw a picture of my new granddaughter up there. I can't believe it. What an abuse of the pulpit, huh? I, uh, I had a hard time making a decision about what to preach about this morning. Uh, Ryan asked me a couple of months ago, knowing he'd be away today, and uh, he, uh, I just want to take a minute to explain the process I went through because I think it helps to understand the topic that we're looking at this morning. And Ryan said, uh, really, Steve, what I would like is for you to pick something that you're passionate about. And uh, I'm passionate about several things, but my brain said, eh, that could be dangerous. Watch out. So I did consider some of the topics I'm passionate about, and you'll see they, they also tend to be rather controversial. Creation care is important to me. Uh, the whole situation with immigration right now is I'm very passionate about. The state of evangelicalism, the, the uh, part of uh, the body of Christ that I've been in for uh, years and years and years. Uh, the, the issue I see with the dangers of conflating, bringing together nationalism and Christianity. Um, when uh, I read about um, Kennedy Hill's uh, unfortunate, tragic suicide death, uh, that got me thinking too about the issues of uh, people who live with mental health conditions. And so all of these were kind of to uh, kind of rumbling around in my head, and I started several messages only to say, yeah, no, that's not going to work. It's not, it's not appropriate for what we're doing this morning. But as I was looking at them, I realized that, uh, yes, these are topics that I'm passionate about, and sometimes they uh, cause me to have more, more heat than light. But if I really think about it, they're issues that, that bring sorrow to me. They kind of hurt. Uh, they increase my feeling of sorrow. They bother me. And so finally, it, it kind of hit me that I need a good dose of hope. Here's the stuff that's been uh, rattling around my head for the past few years. I need to talk about hope. I need to think about hope. I need to look at how I and others as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, people who are committed to live his ways and to live his values, how can I deal with the sorrows that afflict not just me, but you and the people of our world? So I decided uh, to look at a passage this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 6, that's the primary passage we'll look at. And I want to talk about how we deal with sorrows. How do we shoulder, how do we bear, how do we carry the sorrows that are a part of our lives? Would you first join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, we're grateful for your word, and uh, as we sang this morning, our prayer is that the, the power of your word would go forth that your spirit would indeed be present here uh, 
and that you'd be speaking to each of us, reminding us who we are, even this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a real quick, some background to the, the book of Peter, First Peter, so it helps us out. He is writing specifically to believers, and these are Gentile believers, not the Jewish believers, but the Gentile believers now who have been impacted by Paul's ministry and Paul's uh, journeys. And uh, they're struggling. Uh, they're having some difficulties. They're suffering. They're experiencing trials. Now, uh, to be sure, the struggle that Peter is focusing on here is their struggle to live as Christians in a world that does not receive Christians. Their environment is tough. And it's not yet reached the, the point of this um, organized state kind of persecution. But still, it, it's that kind of social uh, rejection, that ostracizing that can happen, uh, made fun of, uh, your bosses don't treat you right, uh, if you have uh, uh, spouses who aren't believers, the, the trouble that that can cause. And, and Peter's writing to them to give them an accurate picture of who they are as now believers in Jesus Christ. And to teach them, to help them to live in the midst of struggle, of trial, and of sorrow. So I personally apply this text to uh, struggling with sorrows as well. And, and I don't believe I'm misapplying the text in this sense. Some might disagree with that. But let's take a look right now at the passage. And if you have uh, a Bible, your scriptures in front of you, or a phone app or whatever you use. Looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the greater worth, I'm sorry, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Through, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what are some ways that believers can deal with the suffering that we encounter, that we're going to be experiencing? And Peter suggests a few in this passage. He reminds us that we need to, in order to deal with the sorrow that we face, we have to cling to hope. Cling, despite the past and the present. Hope, a conviction based on something reliable, 
that a certain thing will happen in the future. The uh, New Living Translation translates it, a wonderful expectation, hope, a wonderful expectation. Hope because of the future, because what we know is promised in the future, what waits for us. And Peter is reminding his readers and, and us as well that we are strangers in this world. In, in the first verse of chapter 1, that's what he says to the people he's writing to. I'm addressing you who are strangers in the world. You're sojourners. You're on a journey. You're sort of like refugees, exiles, immigrants, foreigners in this world. This world, because of its physicality, it's, it's uh, so material, we often... Uh, even uh, those of us who follow Jesus for a long, long time can sort of get stuck in the material nature of the world. But Peter reminds us we're just passing through. This is temporary. However, we must sort of tenor that with the truth that this world also is very important. We don't ignore it. We don't abuse it. We don't waste it. We don't act like it's going to disappear, and so who cares what we do with it? We have a purpose. We have a mission while we're here on this earth. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. That is true, and Peter reminds us that. But his kingdom is for this world, and it's here now. Our daily living should be impacted greatly by our hope for this future. But Peter says, not just a hope that is for the future. Peter says, this is a living hope. It's here now. It's alive. It's real. We can experience it even now. Not to the full extent that we will someday, but even now. Our future begins as we respond to Jesus Christ. We can experience God now. Certainly, our future is coming, but even now, we presently experience the hope that God can give us. It's a solid hope. It's sort of like the difference between saying something like, I hope I win the lottery, or, man, I hope the sun rises tomorrow. There's a lot more assuredness, a lot more experience that the sun is going to rise. And so even though it's a hope, it's a hope that's assured by our reality, our experience. So Peter says hope is one of the strategies, one of the tools we need to deal with the suffering that we face as we live in this world. But Peter also reminds us, especially in verses 5 and 7 through 9, that not only do we need to cling to hope, we need to persist in our faith. We need to persist even though we don't physically experience Jesus now. You recall back uh, in the Gospel of John when um, Thomas was first in, in, uh, encountering the risen Jesus, Jesus responded eventually to him and said, Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. This faith that believes despite having seen and touched. And Peter gives us five details about this kind of faith, five details that help us 
in our own journey of faith. Peter says already in verse 8 that, uh, as we've said, this is a faith that can believe in Jesus and can love Jesus and experience Jesus even though we don't see him right now. Peter says it's a faith that's more valuable than anything else, even gold. Whatever you can uh, count as the most valuable thing to you on this earth, whether material or, or relational, whatever that might be. Peter reminds us there is nothing that exceeds the value of our faith. Faith is changing. It's growing. Faith can be purified. As we, uh, hopefully as we're going through our Christian journey and maturing uh, both physically and, and chronologically, that we're maturing in our faith, and that never ends. Our faith always can be made pure, can be strengthened, be made more genuine, says Peter. And that should be part of our goal as, uh, as we're committed to Jesus and to following him to allow him and to allow our experiences, to allow his Holy Spirit to purify our faith day by day. And Peter reminds us that suffering and sorrows can be part of this purifying process. In fact, often they are. And even as I look over my own uh, life, uh, following Jesus now for over 40 years, it seems like often those are the times when we grow the most, when we're experiencing the struggles, the trials, the sorrows, the suffering. That's what refines or can refine our faith. Peter says faith is also something that protects us in verse 5. And it seems here what he's writing about is, is our future salvation. Uh, that when we have this faith it's a reminder, it's, it's uh, a way to, uh, sort of a deposit, the scriptures tell us, to help us remember that this salvation is ours as we, uh, as we commit to Jesus in faith. And so as we uh, follow along, our faith sort of shields us and protects us. The end of our salvation, Peter reminds us in verse 9, is that of the salvation of our souls. Now, there seem to be a couple of contradic contradictory uh, statements here, or, or just in the, the, full, um, uh, the full tome of the scriptures. On the one hand, we see sometimes reminding us that our faith uh, only comes from God's power. But then we see times that... Uh, God's power is acting in our lives only through our faith. So is it our action? Is it our power? Is it the power of God? Well, Scripture holds both in this kind of attention. It's one of those paradoxes that we must trust, even though we might not understand it. And lastly, about faith, Peter says, one day it's going to bring praise and glory when we see Jesus face to face. clinging to hope, persisting in our faith, and focusing on joy. Peter reminds us that one of our strategies as we deal with sorrow, 
as we live with sorrow is to focus on joy. And of course, seemingly the opposite of sorrow. How can that happen? How can we as believers, when we're in the midst of the suffering, the sorrow, how can we focus on joy? Now, again, I think that the type of struggle that Peter is focusing on here uh, for the uh, Gentile believers he's writing to uh, are the struggles of the persecution that they're experiencing, you know, the rejection they're experiencing, uh, the missed opportunities in their culture because of their new faith in Jesus Christ. But still, I think we all experience trials and struggles and sorrows. Maybe they're personal hurts that are with us so often, or, or family hurts, other relationship hurts, uh, maybe job-related things or failures that we've experienced, or maybe just unfulfilled desires. Maybe we have health-related struggles. Part of the package deal of life is, is we will experience the sorrows of suffering. It just comes with it. But Peter is teaching us that we can have a joy that does not depend on our circumstantial experiences, on the sorrows that we're dealing with. And this joy comes from believing in Jesus, verse 8. And not just that one-time commitment of believing in Jesus, but that steady path of walking with Jesus in a commitment to Jesus. We weren't able to be there last week, but the excitement of baptism, that next step in that journey, that willingness to say to the world and to everyone else that, yes, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to commit my life to him, I want to live for him. Paul is teaching that as we steadily focus on Jesus, this joy will be a part of our lives despite the experiences that we have that bring us sorrow because we have something to look forward to. We can deal with these current sorrows because ultimately we know they're temporary. They won't be with us forever. We know the reward that awaits. We know how big God is. We know as we read scriptures and as we uh, fellowship with other believers and hear their stories, we, we see and hear uh, and discover stories of the amazing things that God has done and continues to do. We can see the bigness of God. And as uh, Jill Caratini writes, one of my favorite writers, she said, God is always bigger than what's the matter. God is always bigger than what's the matter. Now, as I close with uh, some application this morning, um, I want to uh, focus on a specific application. And, you know, when you're talking about sorrow and struggle and trial, there are many directions you can go. Uh, we could be talking about the persecution that Christians experience. Most of us in this nation don't and likely will not, but certainly in our world, that is happening. Or we could look at uh, those perhaps who are uh, suffering intense health conditions. Or uh, we could uh, focus on those who are in sorrow due to the loss of loved ones. But since one of the original topics that I was considering for today 
was uh, focusing on, on living, especially Christians, living with a mental health condition or diagnosis, uh, I decided that I wanted to go in this direction as we look at an application. Uh, how do these strategies that Peter gives us as believers to cling to hope, to persist in faith, to focus on joy, how do Christians who are living with a mental health condition or, or a diagnosis, how do they deal with especially depression and its almost inevitable shadow anxiety? Powerful forces. Because this brings a unique situation to what we're talking about here this morning, to what Peter has written. Because when you have such a condition or a diagnosis, by, by the nature of that condition, your ability to do exactly what Peter just said is hindered, right? It's keeping you from hoping, staying strong in your faith, finding anything to be joyful about. Depression just short-circuits the God-given stuff that humans are given to deal with sorrow. Now, I'm not talking here about, um, trying to differentiate, not just sort of the common ebb and flow of, of, of the joys and sorrows that we all go through, the ups and downs, uh, maybe some seasonal things. Uh, I'm talking here about really a clinical diagnosis of depressions, of depression. And uh, it's not just because uh, I was reading these news stories uh, about this young lady, uh, but uh, mental health for Christians has been a passion of mine for a long time because I personally am one who suffers, uh, who has been living with uh, depression and anxiety really all of my life. And uh, it wasn't until um, about 26 years ago when uh, finally, uh, with the help of my wife, I uh, pursued uh, diagnosis and treatment and uh, have been treated for it for ever since. And uh, as I've looked at my uh, family tree, I can see in ancestors uh, the same condition. Uh, my, my family, many people, my current family uh, deal with it. In fact, uh, it was just two months ago, my sister called, uh, sobbing on the phone, because my niece had just tried to take her life. And uh, fortunately, um, it was really more of a cry for help. It was not uh, a life-threatening attempt, but it just, you know, there it is again. And, and just in our genetics, this stuff that zaps us. And she's a, a lovely young lady who's uh, been a Jesus follower uh, for much of her young life. And based on my reading, I know there are lots of Christians, lots of people who love and follow Jesus, who, who struggle with this. Perhaps some of you here this morning. Because, as we said, the difficulty here is that the condition itself zaps us of the strength, of the ability, uh, to, uh, sometimes even the courage, to pursue hope and faith and joy. Depression can obscure the truth. So we can mentally, even this morning, assent to this message. And then just this afternoon, it's like we never heard it. Like it can't be real. So I just want to close with a couple of things that, uh, based on my experience and just uh, my longer life, 
than, than many of you in, in having dealt with this and continuing to deal with it uh, as someone who knows and loves Jesus that uh, some things that might help you or uh, someone that you know that, that lives with uh, a mental illness. Uh, first is, even though our, our brain chemistry mitigates sometimes against understanding the hope that we need to cling to and, and our persistence in faith, our joy, it still must, these still must remain tools that we use. We can't just say, okay, I've got this depression, so that stuff's not going to work. For my own life, these have still been powerful tools and continue to be. They've got to be part of the arsenal that we use as we continue to live with depression and yet follow and believe in Jesus. Uh, those are some of the resources that God has provided, but he's provided with lots of other resources that uh, we have to uh, take advantage of. These are God-given, God-provided uh, resources, and that involves medications, therapy, various strategies like self-talk. Now, oh, about uh, 15, maybe 20 years ago, um, I was doing a lot of that and uh, did a lot of reading of William Backus, so I throw his name out to you. I'm sure there are many uh, modern-day uh, Christian psychiatrists who are working in the same kinds of uh, strategies, but uh, I highly recommend his materials. found them very helpful. William Backus. We still need to be practicing the spiritual disciplines, even though, again, sometimes uh, the illness uh, seems to fight against us doing that. We've got to turn up the, the discipline. We still have to reach out to loved ones to help us. We still have to have our church communities come alongside us, one another us, help us in these, uh, especially in our times of struggle. We should be reading stories about the many great men and women, past and present, strong, powerful uh, uh, Christian men and women who, who were used mightily of God, many who struggled desperately living with mental illness. I recommend hanging out in the Psalms. You probably already know this, but uh, there's so much honesty and truth and reality in those Psalms in, in David and other writers who are expressing often uh, their sorrow, their suffering, their struggling and crying out. Some of the same feelings we'll experience ourselves. Be in the scriptures, especially passages like we're looking at today. We need these reminders frequently just because of the way our brains work. Often, the, the sorrows that uh, others struggle with and seem to deal with just hit us harder. And part of that is a, a, it's just... You know, I, I'm not a fan of this phrase, but I'm going to use it. It is what it is. It's a condition that we have, just like many other people have different conditions. And so we need to do some things differently that other folks with such conditions uh, don't have to do, just like they're doing things that we might not have to do because we're not experiencing the situations that they are. And lastly, I know it seems obvious, but uh, anybody struggling this morning, you've got, you got to tell someone. You've got to let people know this. 
don't hide behind something I did for many years. And part of it was uh, my own fault, and part of it was just the Christian culture of the time. And any of you who are, are older like myself will know this, that uh, there still is a, a massive stigma uh, against, uh, towards mental health issues. Still within the church, it's even worse than our general population. And I think years ago, it was probably even worse. And so I hid sort of behind that shame, that extra shame of thinking, how can I be a believer, a follower of Jesus, and still be struggling with this? There's something wrong with me. There's something I'm not doing right in my walk with Jesus. Now, sometimes that's true. Sometimes there are things we need to do that contribute uh, to our physical issues, bring a spiritual component to it, But fortunately, the church is doing better at this. And hopefully, I pray that the church will continue to stop uh, sort of taking these mental health issues and making them a whole kind of separate case rather than treating them like any other kind of physical disability. And to Christians uh, who don't live with these conditions, who uh, maybe don't quite understand it, uh, and don't have any loved ones who do, can't really understand, uh, figure out what this is all about. Uh, I just want to remind you of a couple things, and, and I know you get it here. Uh, I'm not, this isn't an attack or anything, but we always need to be reminded, be compassionate. Be compassionate. It's not fake, it's not put on, it's not attention getting, it's a real struggle, a real disability. And along with that compassion, it requires patience because bummed out people are dragged to be around, right? It's hard sometimes. And it, it, you just don't want to be a part of that whole sense of feeling, but pray for patience. Realize that it's most likely a physical condition, not a spiritual one. So resist, resist with all your strength that the things that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard them, just have faith. Just have hope. Just read your Bible. Those are painful, and they just perpetuate. Focus on just being a friend, not a fixer. That's a hard one, right? Our love, our compassion, our patience makes us want to help these people and fix them. When really the best way to do that is to be a friend. And if there's anyone in here uh, who uh, deals with this, it's something you live with, but uh, you've kept it secret for whatever reasons, I would encourage you to be open about it and honest about it. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, an everyday thing where you're constantly reminding people, you know, this is me and this is what I deal with, you know, help me out. But uh, share it. Share what's working with you. Share how God is helping you as you live with this condition. Make it more open in our churches. Make it something that we don't have to be embarrassed about. Something that's not stigmatized. We all know sorrow is a part of this world, even for Christians. Maybe even more so for Christians. Isaiah 53, 
foretells Jesus prophesies and, and gives us uh, a sense or gives those people a sense of what's coming in the Messiah. And we read that Jesus himself is a man of what? Sorrows. A man of sorrows. I almost uh, this morning was going to use uh, the passage uh, in Luke 4 uh, where Jesus comes uh, to the synagogue for the first time to, to begin his public ministry and uh, just as uh, he gets up and reads the scrolls, he's really looking back to Isaiah 61. And he reminds us, he reminds us that whatever sorrow we might be living with, that Jesus is the one who will comfort the brokenhearted. Jesus is the one who will bring freedom to captives. These, uh, Jesus is the one who is going to, oops, they should be up there, but they're not moving, sorry. Jesus is the one who gives joy instead of mourning. And Jesus is the one who, who will nurture praise instead of sorrow. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you for your word, Father, that speaks to us in so many ways, even the, the nitty-gritty, especially the nitty-gritty practical day-to-day uh, -day life that we live. And we thank you for, uh, in its pages, in its words, uh, we understand and learn and we receive the power of your word and the power of the Spirit. And so I pray for each of us here this morning, whether we're living with a condition of sorrow or uh, whether we're uh, in a great place and can be a help for those who are in sorrow. Keep this on our hearts and minds. And I do pray especially for anyone who uh, struggles with a condition of uh, depression or uh, any kind of mental health diagnosis that uh, they might be encouraged this morning and, and beyond in that uh, we as a church, this body here, would be mindful and would be uh, always looking for opportunities to, uh, to love, to serve, and to reach out to all of those in our body who are hurting. May it be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.